0: Because of verses 12 and 13. Uh, verse 12 basically says sometimes we sin and don't even realize it, so we ask God to sh- reveal that to us and forgive us for that, and that's interesting, but verse 13 is what really gets my attention because it s- says we often sin presumptuously, we know better. We know there's a way out, and yet we presume on God, and we sin anyway. And the prayer of the psalmist is to not let that sin rule over us. We sung this morning about the fact that we're prone to wander. It's the same thing, isn't it? So, uh, great reminders. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into the subject today of the kingdom of God. Father, we uh, pray again and confess that Prone to wander seems like uh, too tame a term, because we not only wander, we uh, rebel, we presume on your grace, knowing that you'll forgive us. Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. Uh, We know how it hurts you, and we're sorry. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two weeks ago, we uh, we started a three-part mini series mainly to keep Josh guessing about where we were going to be on Sunday mornings. It was going to be about the kingdom of God, and it was a way of tying a spiritual bow around the study of Acts that took us about 18 months and was recently completed. So, it seemed like that was a... Uh, an appropriate thing to do because uh, the subject the kingdom of God was a major focus in the book of Acts actually from the very beginning all the way through to the end as we show on this slide that we dug into last week. At the very beginning after his resurrection Jesus spent 40 days speaking to his apostles about the kingdom of God and at the very end of Acts Paul finds himself under house arrest in Rome often Chained to a Roman soldier. And it says he preached the kingdom of God to everyone who visited him. And the kingdom of God was preached frequently, many, many times between the beginning and the end. And we show just a few of those on the slide that you see there. Now, I believe we Christians are actually pretty comfortable saying the words, the kingdom of God, and we use them frequently, but do we really know what the kingdom of God means? I'm guessing that if I was to ask you this morning what the kingdom of God means, we'd probably get some different answers, and it would actually help me a lot if I knew what your answers were to know what you know about the kingdom of God, so I thought what we'd do this morning is take a pop quiz. You guys ready? Drew, you're responsible for keeping score. You ready? Okay. So here's the, here's the pop quiz. What's the kingdom of God? Is, is, is it a game played with Grammy Pammy involving the full armor of God? You had to be here two weeks ago to fully understand that one. So is it A... Or is it a popular TV show starring James Earl Jones? The Kingdom of God. <laughs> or is it the newest theme park at Disney World? We've got the Animal Kingdom, the Wild Kingdom, the what's oh the magic kingdom, and the Kingdom of God. Y'all tracking so far? You got your favorite answer? Or is it the uh Physical, spiritual, and imperishable reign of Jesus Christ. Tough quiz, huh? you have an answer? What is it? How'd they do, Drew? 100%. Right. D is the right answer. So, uh, actually in our first lesson, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the king of the kingdom. And we talked about the king was the expected king of the Jews, or the Christ... He was also the rejected king of the Jews, Jesus, and he was the resurrected king of all, Christ Jesus. And this week, we're going to look at the realms of the kingdom of God, the physical realm, the spiritual realm, and the imperishable realm of the kingdom of God. And next week, we'll conclude this uh, study with a discussion about the citizens of the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to tell Josh what passage we're going to use to do that. So, Now, we know from our first lesson that Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom of God. So what did King Jesus say about the realms of his kingdom? What did he say about the nature or the timing or the breadth or reach of his kingdom? Well, actually, he said a lot. And I counted over a hundred verses in the Gospels alone where Jesus mentions the kingdom of God. So he talked about it a lot. And he said some things that on the surface appear to be very confusing and sometimes even contradictory. Here's a few examples. Jesus said that the kingdom of God basically is here. He said in Luke 11, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is in your midst. But he also said the kingdom is somewhere else. In John 18, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But now my kingdom is from another place. He also said that the kingdom of God is now. In Mark chapter 1, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Luke chapter 9, he said, there are some things, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. But he also said the kingdom was in the future. In Luke 22, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. He also said the kingdom was clear. He said, to you has been given the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But he also said the kingdom was hidden. That the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. So as we read these words of Jesus about his kingdom, they can be a little confusing. And we might even find ourselves expecting Jesus to say occasionally... Just kidding, guys. But he doesn't say that. In fact, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, in other words, no kidding, guys. This is all absolutely true, all of it. So how can we start to make sense of all the truths Jesus taught us about the kingdom of God? It's, it's a question I've been thinking about for the two weeks I've had to pray about and prepare for this message. And it's a question that Paul must have been thinking about during these two years of Roman imprisonment at the end of Acts. Because during those two years, he wrote at least four books of Holy Scripture, of our Bible. He wrote Ephesians during that time, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Philemon, and he wrote Colossians. And all of these with the possible exception of his personal letter to Philemon, teach extensively about the kingdom of God. So let's look at a key passage from one of these letters. We're going to look at Colossians as we start our journey this morning and allow it to set the foundation for our study of the kingdom of God. And I'll put the message on the screen for us because we're not going to camp out here, but we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 13 through 17. Colossians 1, 13 through 17. Let me read that passage. It says, For he, this is referring to God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So look with me first at verses uh, 15 through 17, where we see several things that are noted about our King Jesus. Actually, it's a, it's a few and a long list if you keep reading this particular passage of Colossians. But it says, first, he's the firstborn of all creation. Not indicating that Jesus Christ was created first or that he was created at all, but that it means that he has the rights of inheritance of the firstborn, which in The culture of that day was very significant. It means Jesus was of the highest rank. It means that Jesus, in other words, owns creation. Creation belongs to Jesus. And then it says that he created all things. You see, all things were created. And then at the end of that passage, it says that Jesus is the one who holds all things together. He is the sustainer of what he created. So he owns creation, he created it, and he sustains it. In other words, as we studied two weeks ago, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. But we also see that there's both a visible and an invisible realm of the kingdom a visible or a physical realm or an invisible or a spiritual realm and I've put a diagram there just to kind of depict that and obviously the physical realm exists and is saturated with the spiritual realm that we live in today and Jesus Christ is the king of all of it the physical and the spiritual realm but as we look at that passage from Colossians, there's also two domains or two dominions within the kingdom of God. One of those is called the kingdom of God's Son or the kingdom of Jesus. The other domain, or I prefer the word dominion, is the dominion of darkness. Of course, this is the dominion of Satan, the one whom Jesus calls the ruler of this world. Now, I fully realize that my uh, circle diagram is a uh, preschool version of a kingdom so grand that even Michelangelo couldn't fully describe it on the walls of the Sistine Chapel or the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. But it does serve to help me and maybe help us build a framework on which to hang what Jesus taught about his kingdom. And so as I prayed about this message, I was led actually to the third chapter of the Gospel of John. Third Gospel of John, verses 1 through 16, is our primary text for today. It's a familiar passage for us. It's the story of Nicodemus, a man who wanted to know more about the kingdom of God. And as we read his story, we'll see that Nicodemus was somewhat confused between what he expected the kingdom of God to be and what he saw Jesus doing and teaching. So let's see how Jesus addresses the confusion of Nicodemus and hopefully with the help of the Holy Spirit address any confusion that we might have. So turn with me, please, to the third chapter of the Gospel of John. We'll read the first uh, couple of verses of John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we see there that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were very strict, they were very conservative, and they were very serious about keeping the law. We also see that he was a ruler, meaning he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which at that time was a 71-member ruling council over the Jews. And if you glance down for just a minute at verse 10... Jesus calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel. Not a teacher of of Israel, the teacher. So Jesus calls him the preeminent teacher in all of Israel. That was Nicodemus. He was a very powerful and a very well-respected man in Jerusalem. And we see in verse 2 that Nicodemus comes at night. And we can understand why, can't we? He, the Jews did not hold Jesus in high regard, especially those on the Sanhedrin, neither the Sadducees nor the Pharisees, because in their opinion, he was not meeting the strict legalistic standards that they had set for the Jewish people. And he was associating with sinners of the worst variety. Even worse, he was working on the Sabbath by healing people, all the while claiming to be the Messiah. So Nicodemus had to be very careful about being seen with this man, Jesus. But when Nicodemus comes, he admits to Jesus that there's something very special about him. And he can't explain it. And it's based on the fact that Jesus' plainly visible and miraculous signs were baffling to Nicodemus. Look back at the last few verses of chapter 2 for just a minute. Jesus had been in Jerusalem for the Passover. And it says there that many Jews had believed in him. Based on the miracles that he was doing, but not Nicodemus. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but he knew there was something special about him based on the physical and the public actions of Jesus. Jesus was doing things in this world in plain sight for which Nicodemus, Professor Nicodemus, had no explanation. And these things should have been hard to explain because actually the Creator had stepped into the visible, physical kingdom that he had created. And we know from the Old Testament that wasn't the first time. He'd actually done that many times before. He came to give aid to Sarah's maidservant Hagar, the father of Abraham's son Ishmael when she was wandering helplessly in the desert. The scripture refers to him as the angel of the Lord. He stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. He appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He intervened with the pagan prophet Balaam as the Hebrew people approached the promised land. He called Gideon to service. He told Samson's mother that her son was to be dedicated for life as a Nazarite. He sustained Elijah as he fled from Jezebel and Ahab. And he destroyed 185,000 Assyrians who had gathered outside Jerusalem during the ministry of Isaiah. And there are many other times that Jesus stepped into his creation that we know from scriptures. And every time he stepped into his creation, something marvelous. And something inexplicable happened. And this was all the more true when Jesus humbled himself and came to live and die on earth as a man. His teaching was with authority that they absolutely had never seen before. His his miracles unmistakably indicated that he had been anointed by God. Think about it. The Creator, before the watching eyes of his people, was creating new eyes for the blind. And new legs for the lame. And new ears for the deaf. And new lives for the dead. And so sometimes when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, he's referencing the fact that he, the king of the kingdom, has stepped into his physical creation. I think that's why he could say things like, The kingdom of God has come upon you or the kingdom of God is in your midst and from the Bible we know the primary reason he stepped in this last time don't we because he had a rebellion on his hands and that rebellion was absolute in fact it started with the very first human beings Adam and Eve who did the one thing God told them not to do And that sinful rebellion has been carried on by every single human being ever created, including you and me. Mankind was and is mired in the dominion of darkness. So after more than 2,500 years of open and total rebellion, the time came for Jesus to do something about it. But he didn't come to do what you and I would have come to do. Look at John 3, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The first realm that King Jesus reigns over is the physical or the visible kingdom of God. But as we described a couple of weeks ago, this is not Jesus' priority when he came to earth. He was much more concerned about his spiritual kingdom. So let's look at that in verses 3 through 15 of the Gospel of John. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and yet you do not accept our testimony. If I told you the earthly things and you did not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Look at verse 3. It says Jesus answered. He actually answered the question that was in Nicodemus' heart because Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question. And his heart question must have been something about the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus' answer was about. Jesus was doing Messiah kind of miracles and Jesus was doing a Messiah kind of teaching But he wasn't a Messiah kind of guy, in the opinion of Nicodemus. When Nicodemus looked at Jesus, he just couldn't see a king. He couldn't see the Messiah he had pictured in his mind. It was confusing. So Jesus' answer is very, very interesting to me. He says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, translated, no kidding, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, until just recently when I read that scripture, I assumed that Jesus was saying that if a person was not born again, he could never see or never obtain the future kingdom of God. It was some, talking about some future event. It would be like me saying, I want my grandkids to see the Dallas Cowboys win a Super Bowl. Now, I'm talking about some future event when I say that. In that case, a far distant event. (laughs) But I'm not talking about the present. I'm not hoping that they can see, right? Notice what Jesus says in verse 3. He does not say he will not see or he will never see in order to indicate some future event. What Jesus is talking about is right now. The present time for Nicodemus. It's as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the kingdom of God is all around you. But unless you're born again, you won't even be able to see it. It's invisible to you. Even though the king of the kingdom is standing right in front of you, it's invisible. And then in verse 5, Jesus explains to Nicodemus what he means when he said he had to be born again. Or literally, it says, born from above, born from God. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus, like all of us, was born of the offspring of two human parents. Now, of course, it's a miracle of God involved in that. But it's accomplished through the actions of human beings. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that in order to enter, or in verse 3, even see the kingdom of God, he had to be born a second time. He had he needed a fresh start. But it's not another human birth, it's a birth from God involving water or washing or purification, not of the body, but of the soul. Because our souls, our sinful souls, need to be washed clean. So it's a rebirth of water or cleansing, but it's also a rebirth of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 7 and 8, Jesus actually tells Nicodemus that although he can't yet see the kingdom of God, if he looks, he can actually see evidence all around him. Because even those who are not born again can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit's impact in the lives of those who are. So let's pause here for just a minute. What kingdom of God is Jesus referring to? If we look at our circle diagram again, it's pretty easy to frame the issue Jesus was addressing. Let's look first at Nicodemus. He was asking questions about Jesus based on his understanding of the physical realm. Unaware, totally unaware, that he stood condemned spiritually as part of the domain of, the dominion of darkness. Now, Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and worse yet, he goes on to teach us that without Christ, we are actually spiritually dead, totally incapable of doing anything about it. That was true for Nicodemus, and it's true for us. Our passport for entering the dominion of darkness is simply to be born. all we need is the opportunity to sin and we'll do it. If I could snap my fingers, I would like that. Somebody help me. Will you do it like... Thank you. <laughs> so where was Nicodemus? Where that red target is on the slide, deeply embedded in the dominion of darkness. And he wasn't able to see it. But guess what? That didn't change the fact that that's where he was. So let's look at it now from Jesus' standpoint. Knowing what was of eternal significance, he was telling Nicodemus what was required to move, to move from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. Since Nicodemus was dead in his sins, he needed to be born again, Jesus said. So just like Nicodemus' passport to the dominion of darkness was simply being born, his passport to the kingdom of God was to be born again. So if you look again at Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, I've got it on the slide there for you. Being born again is another way of saying being rescued from the dominion of darkness or the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So think with me for just a minute about the terms that are in our bible to describe what we just talked about, being born again and being rescued. Being born doesn't require any special skill or ability from the baby being born. Likewise, being rescued doesn't require much, if any, effort from the person being rescued. And these are in appropriate terms, I think, because it's Jesus Christ who possesses the required abilities and authority and expends all the effort needed for us to be reborn or to be rescued. After all, it was Jesus who humbled himself and left the glories of heaven and entered the physical kingdom he had created. It was Jesus who was ridiculed and rejected by his own people and suffered a shameful death on a cross and was resurrected three days later. And it was Jesus who paid the penalty for the sins of every man as a free gift of God's grace, giving all of us the opportunity to be born again. And for those who accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, it was... Him who reconciled them to God the Father. Who now not only accepts them as his own children, but credits them with the perfect, perfect righteousness of his Son. And it was Jesus who asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to indwell believers as a guarantee. And it was Jesus who is expanding his spiritual kingdom by building the church, which Paul called the bride of Christ. And he is doing so by bringing the Gentiles, us, into his kingdom. And that would have blown Nicodemus' mind. There was actually a lot that Jesus could have shared with Nicodemus about the spiritual kingdom of God. He could have told him about the incredible things that he had done or the incredible things that he was going to do or the incredible things that he was preparing to do. But without the Holy Spirit, it was more than Nicodemus, one of the best teachers of all of Israel, could grasp or even see. What he needed first was a fresh start. He needed to be born again. Please allow me just to look briefly at verses 9 through 15 because we're going to pick these up in our next lesson. But... uh, You see that Jesus tells Nicodemus that the pathway to being born again, to becoming part of the spiritual kingdom of God, is based on belief. Belief in what? Verse 13, belief that Jesus is God, descended from heaven. Verse 14, belief that Jesus died on a cross. In verse 15 and 16, belief that he did so in order to give eternal life to those who believe. Now, after studying Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, some of the other things that Jesus said about his kingdom for me come into focus. Because Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 11, "...to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God." But those who are outside get everything in parables. And in Luke chapter 9, he says, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. In these instances, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's referencing the spiritual realm of his kingdom, called by Paul in Colossians, the kingdom of the Son. It's what Jesus wanted to talk to Nicodemus about, but almost in passing, Jesus makes a comment to Nicodemus about yet another realm of his kingdom, the imperishable kingdom. Look with me at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So being part of God's spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of the son, eventually results in us being part of a kingdom that is imperishable. This is the kingdom that Christ will initiate when he comes back. And this imperishable kingdom is mentioned all over the Scriptures, Old and New Testament. But perhaps the clearest text is in the last few chapters of the book of Revelation. And we definitely don't have time to do a survey of this great book, but allow me to give just a brief summary by way of our preschool diagram. So the physical, you see four points there. The first is that the physical and the spiritual realms of God's kingdom will be transformed into an imperishable kingdom. The old earth is going to be destroyed and a new earth is going to be created. And heaven comes down to earth and is named the New Jerusalem. Secondly, all mankind will be resurrected. And will be given imperishable bodies, which are described by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as also being spiritual bodies. I have no idea what that means. It may mean our body may be similar to what we saw Jesus had when he was resurrected from the dead. Thirdly, all mankind will not only be resurrected, but they'll all be judged. Those who are in the kingdom of the Son who have been born again by accepting Christ's sacrifice on their behalf, Revelation says, will be judged based on what Jesus has done and found faultless. And those who are in the dominion of darkness will be judged based on what Revelation says what they have done and will be found wanting and they'll be sentenced to the lake of fire. The fourth point is that redeemed mankind, those who are found faultless as a result of their trust in Jesus Christ, will live and reign forever with God in New Jerusalem. It's a place where there's no more death, it says, and there's no more tears, no more mourning, no more pain. A place where the radiance of God's glory is so intense that it permeates through the streets of gold. A place where what we see and what we know about God will take our breath away and drive us to worship continuously. And it's a place so magnificent that if we were to get just a brief glimpse of it, just a small glimpse of what's in store, we would do what the writer of of Revelations, John, did when he saw it. And we would echo his comments. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's go there. This imperishable kingdom is what Jesus was referring to when he said things like, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this earth, not of this realm. And he said in Luke 22, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. From some later verses of the gospel of John, it actually appears that Nicodemus may have eventually become a follower of Jesus, that he was possibly born again but we don't know for sure and we certainly don't know what his response was on that evening Jesus met with him as outlined in John chapter 3 John simply doesn't tell us it's possible that Nicodemus understood the kingdom of God more clearly than he did before but there's also a possibility that he didn't understand it at all and left even more confused than when he came and that's okay, I think, because it allows us to put ourselves into the story. After all, it's possible that after this message, you understand the kingdom of God more clearly than you did before. There's also a possibility, with probably a very high probability, that you're even more confused than before I started. And that's okay, too. Because to be perfectly open with you, I had two full weeks to prepare for this message. And for over a week and a half, I was more confused than when I started. But Jesus demonstrated something very, very important that night with Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus came searching, searching for answers about the kingdom of God He didn't understand what he had been experiencing. So the greatest teacher in Israel searched out the rabbi Jesus to get some answers. Nicodemus came searching. And what did he find? He found that Jesus was searching for him. Jesus' concern was not that Nicodemus needed to understand all the details about the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't explain to Nicodemus all the seeming contradictions in what he had formerly said about the kingdom of God. He didn't draw a circle diagram in the dirt to show Nicodemus the various realms of his kingdom. Jesus' concern, his total focus, was that Nicodemus was not in the kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, the preparation for this message was a real struggle for me. You know, I set out with the motivation to learn as much as I could about the kingdom of God so that I could teach you what the realms of the kingdom of God were all about to clarify what can be a really fuzzy subject. And I had a lot of good information. I had material all over the place, spread out all over my study. But it never seemed clear. It never seemed right. Every time I wrote something down, I went back and deleted it. I told Pam, I looked like a hobo one day this week. I hadn't shaved in three days. It was pitiful. And just a few days ago, it hit me. What if Jesus was invited by your elders to come here and give a sermon? about the kingdom of God what would he teach I suspect he would do exactly what he did with Nicodemus he'd look us square in the eye knowing the condition of our hearts and he would say truly truly I say unto you Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So as we end this message this morning, let me share something with you. I sincerely don't mind if you forget everything that I taught you this morning about the realms of the kingdom of God. I sincerely mean that. What I do care about is that each and every one of you find your home In the kingdom of God. So if you can't say you've placed your faith in Jesus and been born again, then your home is in the dominion of darkness. You may not want to admit it, you may not be able to see it. But just like Nicodemus, it doesn't change the facts. If that's where you honestly find yourself this morning, the really good news is that that it doesn't have to be a very long or a very difficult trip or journey to move to the kingdom of God. Christ will do all the work. He's eminently qualified to do so. In fact, He's already done it. You just have to believe And God will freely give you the new birth in the kingdom of his son. In the words of our King Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the struggle you gave me this past two weeks. For the clarity of your word and your message, I uh, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that uh, everyone would find a home in the kingdom of your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.